Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Sarah Jane's with us, has been an enthusiastic lucid dreamer since childhood. She is a writer, public speaker, sleep hypnosis workshop facilitator. She runs the Explorers Egyptology, an online lecture series, and that she does that with Carl Aiden Smith, operating the Seventh Ray, a virtual reality mystery school. She's the producer and co-host of the Anthony P. Consciousness Hour podcast, and Sarah is currently working with Rupert Sheldrake and the British Pilgrimage Trust to reinvigorate the practice of dream incubation at sacred sites. Sarah, welcome to the program. Looking forward to this. Thank you so much for having me, George. And how are things in the United Kingdom? Um, well, it is uh, about 8.30 here this morning, and my daughter's getting ready for school, and the bin men are outside collecting the bins, and it's uh, a bit cold. I live on the seaside in Hastings, so you might be able to hear some seagulls in the background. Well, that'll be great. Be... How'd you get interested <laughs> in, in dreams? How did the, these these all start for you? I've always been into dreams and I can remember dreams from being a really small child. I always just used dreaming as a form of escapism. I think I grew up in a really kind of boring town in South London and um, lived on a main road next to a sewage farm and an industrial estate and a landfill. So I used dreaming as an opportunity to explore my imagination, to explore worlds that I had read about in books. I was really into the adventures of Alice in Wonderland and things like that. So it was always just a sort of natural thing for me. When you started lucid dreaming, which is a dream you know you're in a dream, did it uh, surprise you? 
Um, I think I always had them from being quite young. I remember distinctly a dream from primary school where I had this sort of sense of ecstasy and bliss in the dream, which is something that I still associate with lucidity now and that you don't um, you don't generally hear that much about. But the defining feature for me of lucidity is this bodily feeling of ecstasy and bliss. It is fascinating. It's very the dream state is very powerful too. You could, if you can, can command it, you can do all kinds of things with it, can't you? I think that was my my main reason for being so fascinated by dreaming as a child. I remember my two my two kind of main interests in dreaming, even from a very young age, was a I wanted to, I've always wanted to be a film director, and I dream a lot of films and my film aesthetic is is very much dictated to by uh, dream imagery and motifs and the feeling I have in dreams. So I wanted to be a film dream director and I wanted to invent a machine that could record my dreams so I could, you know, really easily make a film that other people could watch. And then the other thing was I had this idea that um, lucid dreaming, the mastery of lucid dreaming could enable me to transcend death somehow and um, hold on to my consciousness as I as I um, died. So I was, I was always really interested in it for those two reasons. And I think they've kind of continued to be um, really big interests for me as well. You evoke in your book the name of a Greek goddess who I'll let you pronounce more than I will. How do you pronounce her name? Mnemosyne. So she's a personification of memory, remembrance, eloquence, eruditeness. She's the mother of all of the muses, so she's the source of all inspiration, and she's the daughter of heaven, Uranus, and Earth, Gaia. Do you tap into this goddess for anything? Well, I think she's a fascinating goddess, because in um, the Greek pantheon of gods, she's one of the earliest gods. She's a titaness. And I find it really interesting that as the goddess of remembrance, she's also the mother of all of the muses, so the source of all inspiration in the world, all divine inspiration in the world. And I think that she was a goddess that was often in the Greek sleep temple tradition, at least, which was um, sleep sanctuaries dedicated to the dream healer god Asclepius. In the final ritual where you'd go to incubate your divine dream that would heal you, could actually actively heal you in the dream state, or provide the therapeutic of the temples with clues as to your treatment or medicine, um, you would invoke the goddess Mnemosyne using a fumigation of frankincense. And I find it really interesting that this goddess of remembrance was so important. I think it indicates that the ancient Greek philosophy of memory and appreciation for the art of memory was um, really significant. And I think that dreams and a especially lucid dreams, offer an opportunity to explore the real function and nature of memory in a way that ordinary waking consciousness doesn't. So um, mnemosyne would have been invoked for this final stage of the dream healing process. And I think that's because not only do you need to remember your dream to extract important information about a cure from it, but you also need to remember yourself within the dream and in that instance you would say that that's a lucid dream then if you're remembering the fact that you're dreaming and I think um, one of my tips for people when they come to um, my workshops about how to activate more episodes of lucid dreaming I always say that if you have a crush on someone or a romantic attraction towards someone when you dream about them you quite often become lucid because you get excited when you see them 
And um, I think for ancient people who had this culture of um, dreaming and believing that the dream space was a place where you could meet divine entities, that they would have become ecstatic or inspired to see this divine entity. And there's lots of descriptions of ancient dreams in ancient Greek and ancient Egyptian texts in particular that describe being like flowing with love and joy and ecstasy at seeing a divine being. So I think that to me also suggests that they were experiencing these lucid, ecstatic, blissful moments. And in the the kind of terminology of ancient dreaming and um, these healing dreams, they talk often about these dreams being divine. And that's kind of how I like to think of lucid dreaming, especially when it has that ecstatic and blissful component is that it's a divine dream. It's kind of sent by the gods. Would you rather have a precognitive dream or a lucid dream if you had that choice? I've always been a bit um, uh, nervous of uh, fortune telling because I know how suggestive I am. And if I have some vision of the future, then I tend to think it's going to come true and I might not necessarily want it to come true. I think dreaming is a really good place to manifest your desires if you kind of perfect your life in the dream realm it's easy then for that to filter into your real life so if you can dream it this kind of idea if you can dream it you can be it I think it's very true and I think that part of the dreaming process is to perfect yourself in the dream state and to hope that your dreaming your the dream version of yourself is equal to the real life waking version of yourself um so precognitive dreams, I mean, that's an interesting question because I'm interested in the um, the idea in the ancient world that dreams were all about predicting the future. So we have this um, culture around dream analysis these days, which is all to do with the psychology of the dreamer, the um, experiences of the dreamer, the tr- process tr- of trauma for the dreamer, the psychology of the dreamer. But in the ancient world, dream interpretation is really all about predicting the future and not necessarily through direct precognitive dreams we have a vision of the future but through wordplay puns and um, homophones that act as clues to be unraveled like oracles that can be um, decoded and give people hints about future events which I think is fascinating because if you think that the primary objective of working out what dream means is about predicting the future it it reveals a lot about the consciousness of the time. A lot of people, Sarah, will have these precognitive dreams, but they don't realize what it is until the real event happens, and they go, oh, my God, I had that dream. Yeah. I think that um, with dreaming in particular, and in the in the case of all kinds of divination and, and oracular arts as well, actually, there's this, for me, there's this idea that everything is within everything. So if you... I've had dreams in the past where because they are visual imagery, they're symbolic, they can kind of be used to then explain later events just by the nature of reality, that nature and the world is made up of images, symbols, and motifs. So I had a dream a while ago about um, uh, two eagles flying in the sky and them dropping a chick and this chick drowning in a, a river underneath them. And I remember sitting on this plane thinking that that could mean that I'm going to crash into another plane and then we're going to fall into this river. And then there, because it's Hmm. symbolic, it could also be interpreted to mean kind of anything. And later on, I saw, um, I saw images just on social media of like a baby chick with its, uh, 
with claws coming out of some water. And I thought it could also mean that. So I think that in the case of um, oracles and divination, from the most ancient of times, so you look at someone like uh, King Shulgi of the ancient Near East, he, in, in that era, they were very keen on Haru spicy or extra spicy, which is reading the future in a, a lamb's liver. And um, uh, there's this idea that uh, King Shulgi expresses that in the insides of a single sheep, I can see the secrets of the entire universe. So there's this idea of this sort of pattern or matrix of nature that reveals itself through its machinations in almost anything. And um, if you are sensitive and intuitive, then I actually think predicting the future is is quite easy and natural because you're always picking up and noticing signs and um, evidence of the future in every passing moment. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. 
It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Well, with Sarah Janes, her websites are linked up at coasttocoastam.com. We're talking about her book, Initiation into Dream Mysteries. With the power of dreams, you believe we can influence our own dreams. How do we do that? Well, this was the main focus of the ancient sleep temples and sanctuaries and rituals around dreaming in the ancient world is um, the practice of dream incubation. So this is setting an intention for dream and um, quite often desiring an outcome and desiring to have an encounter with some sort of divine entity. And for most cultures in the ancient world, especially Mesopotamia, ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, there's this idea that uh, where dreams occur, it's the same realm as um, where gods, goddesses, and the dead dwell as well. So there's this definite sense of there being an other world or an afterlife, which you kind of access during the dream state. Sarah, you mentioned earlier that dreams could be used for healing. Does the dream heal or just give you the information on how to heal? I think it can do both. And this is an element I'm super interested in and looking to do more study into. I'm working with um, more scientists these days to to try to um, uh, test this hypothesis, which is Uh, especially um, during episodes of lucidity, which, as your listeners probably know, a lucid dream is a dream in which um, you you don't necessarily control what's happening, but you know you're in a dream and you you have full self-awareness. Your frontal cortex is activated and um, you're able to apply critical thinking, self-reflection, things like this, which you can't usually ever do in a dream. I mean, you, and, in a lucid dream, you say things like, if I fall off a building, I'm not going to die. It's only a dream. Yeah. And you know exactly. that. Yeah, you have, you have this awareness. So I think if you look at um, dream healing in particular in ancient Greece, which is an easy one because there's so much evidence and so many inscriptions at the sleep temples. There are about uh, 400 temples around the ancient Hellenic world that were dedicated to this dream healer god Asclepius, who... Um, was kind of a precursor to Jesus. He was a, essentially a miracle worker and could heal people and was this very sort of like loving, humble God. And um, he was the son of the god Apollo. Um, and Apollo was the god of music and healing as well and uh, later associated with the sun. And um, so... My my thinking about the potential for healing in the lucid dream state is that you've got this extraordinary state of entanglement between mind and body during lucid episodes. And if dream events are occurring that are provoking healing responses, and in particular, these feelings of ecstasy and bliss, during sleep, you have certain genes that are switched on that are not switched on during wakefulness, which are associated with the process of homeostasis. So this is the natural 
process of rebalancing of detoxification, cell regeneration and things like this, which occur during deep sleep, which um, are basically the things that help our body heal and recalibrate every night. So if you think that during episodes of lucidity, you have this consciousness of um, the dream state, if dream events are happening, so for example, in the Asclepia, you might have um, Asclepius performing some sort of physically impossible operation on you. Like if you're suffering from headaches, he might cut your head off, tip a load of bees out, then sew it back on. And if you think that these dream events, you're experiencing them as if they're really real, um, you your body may respond to a greater or lesser degree to kind of match that healing response. So we know that placebo effect works. We know that a faith healing response can occur. So I think something like that can occur in the dream state. And during episodes of lucidity, that can be especially powerful and deep. I mean, if you think, I always compare it to when people have orgasms or wet dreams because their bodies are responding to dream stimuli. And so I think something similar might be happening when people are able to heal themselves in dreams. And obviously there can be... uh, very sort of well-established conditions where it might take longer for those effects to take place. But I think in the sleep temples of ancient Greece, there was um, very much this idea that you didn't go into the inner sanctum if you were at death's door or about to give birth. You There was this idea of um, an impurity around death that you could be polluted by being too close to death. So a lot of the illnesses that were tackled in those sleep temples had a psychosomatic component. And also, if you think about it, I mean, these sleep sanctuaries were like beautiful spas. You know, I often describe Asclepius as being a kind of precursor to Wim Hof. He was really into cold water bathing, um, boosting the immune system. So you would do processes of fasting, purification, purging and catharsis through art and expression. And um, a, a lot of conditions or ailments will right themselves given the right circumstances in enough time so for most most human bodies are always trying to get back to wellness and harmony so given the right conditions most um most things can be healed themselves so i think that the sleep sanctuary gave you that perfect place that perfect opportunity this sort of feng shui sanctuary of healing and harmony that would have helped everyone to kind of get back to their to their ideal Sarah, when we have recurring dreams, the same dream over and over again, what does that mean? Usually this is because we have some kind of issue that we haven't resolved. And one of the best ways of of dealing with this would be to write down the, um, the result that you want out of this dream and to really explore every element of this dream. I often say like writing a dream down can help you see aspects of dreams that you might not necessarily consider. There's definitely something magical in the process of writing. It is the process of remembering a dream. And and, um, as in the ancient dream interpretation, you see so much of a dream is interpreted based upon um, homophones, so words that sound the same, and uh, wordplay and punning. So sometimes when you see a word written down, you see these other layers of meaning that you might miss otherwise. It's fascinating, the dream state. And are most dreams originating from the brain, or is there something outside of the brain? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I think 
of the human organism as being an integrated system and connected to the rest of the cosmos to more, you know, to greater or lesser extent. I have a kind of theory about uh, when we go through periods of REM and then we sink into the deepest possible sleep that we're returning to a kind of primordial consciousness and maybe a consciousness of the world or consciousness of the cosmos. I think that this is a mystery that will probably remain for a bit longer. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.